In his first year at Walden Pond, Thoreau wrote the following. I did not read books the first summer. I hoed beans. Nay, I often did better than this. There were times when I could not afford to sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work, but head or hand. I love the broad margins of my life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken, taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise until noon, wrapped in the reverie amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs in undisturbed solitude and stillness, while the birds sang around and flitted noiselessly through the house until by the sun falling in, the, in my west window or the noise of some traveler's wagon on a distant highway, I was reminded of the lapse of time. I grew in those seasons like corn in the night, and they were far better than any work of the hands would have been. I have a story people print by Brian Andreas on the wall of my office. Perhaps you know his work. He creates kind of quirky watercolor and ink drawings that have kind of abstract, impressionistic beings and symbols fashioned around a statement about life, different statements on, and different creations, each one of them. This one on my wall says, everything changed. The day he figured out there was exactly enough time for the important things in his life. Everything changed the day he figured out there was exactly enough time for the important things in his life. I purchased this print a number of years ago, and I walk by it regularly because of where I placed it, and I have often wondered to myself, why did I pick this print? I am not even sure I know what this means. I am not the kind of person who knows automatically what those important things are. And I am a person who has never had enough time. I don't have enough time for the things I want to do, the things I have to do, and the things I think I should be doing. So how can this be so, that we can know those important things and then know that there's exactly that amount of time. I wonder about this. So the message on this print has been an ongoing provocation to me, leading me to ask about what is important. And how do I recognize it if I know it? Am I spending my time? And is the measure of my time worthy? A few months ago, I was reading Thoreau. I was reading Walden. And I was taken in by this passage from Thoreau about time. He said, In any weather, at any hour of the day or night, I have been anxious to improve the nick of time and notch it on my stick, too, to stand on the meeting of two eternities, the past and future, which is precisely the present moment and tow that line. To improve the nick of time 
It's so like Thoreau to turn the common meaning of an expression on its head. The nick of time he's referring to is not that last minute, headlong rush, just needing about to save the day kind of nick of time. Instead, to even ponder, to begin to ponder what it means to improve the nick of time, we have to slow down. We have to drop all of that urgency and go deeper into the experience of the moment, finding their full alertness to what resides there. Thoreau wrote about some of the ways that he does these improvements. As in the reading that Nan offered to us, observation and contemplation were central to how he spent his time in the woods. He went out, in his words, to anticipate not the sunrise or the dawn merely, but if possible, to anticipate nature herself. He wrote, for many years I was self-appointed inspector of snowstorms and rainstorms and did my duty faithfully. I have looked after the wild stock of the town which give a faithful herdsman a good deal of trouble by leaping fences. He came to know his surroundings well. He said, I have watered the huckleberry, the sand cherry, and the nettle tree, the red pine and the black ash, the white grape and the yellow violet, which might have withered elsewise in the dry season. Thoreau's long periods of solitude and observation in nature took him into deep reflection on the necessities and the frivolities of life as well. He found the tendency that he saw in people to accept what was expected of them by social convention or family expectation seemingly without question to be a matter of serious concern. He saw this as a kind of mindlessness. He urged people to live as deliberately as nature lives, to give up distraction, and deliberately seek to know their own nature and the nature of reality as they experience it. Thoreau described a kind of peeling of the onion of life, layer by layer, This was his counsel. Listen to the imagery that he creates here. Let us settle ourselves and work and wedge our feet downward through the mud and the slush of opinion and prejudice and tradition and delusion and appearances and the avulion that covers the globe through Paris and London through New York and Boston, and conquered through church and state, down through poetry and philosophy and religion, till we come to the hard bottom and rocks in place, which we call reality, and say, this is, and no mistake, be it life or death, we crave only reality. If we really are dying, let us hear the rattle in our throats and feel cold in our extremities. If we are alive, then let us go about our business. For Thoreau, getting past appearances and delusions in order to see clearly was the mark of the unhurried 
and the wise, and it was the life that he recommended. Thoreau is often characterized as playing at being the hermit at Walden Pond while having his aunt do his laundry for him and bring him pies. I'm sure you've heard those stories. But in fact, during those two years that he lived at Walden, he gave himself over to a kind of simplicity that few would envy. He built his own small cabin. He grew his own vegetables. He had learned that, by, that he could get by on the pay that he made in six weeks of work if he lived an austere and solitary life. He knew that there was a certain artificiality to this lifestyle, but it allowed him the freedom to spend his time living deeply and deliberately and pursue these questions of what is important that weighed on him. Thoreau wanted to discern what he calls the essential facts of life which reside in nature. And he held nature up as his teacher and invites us to let nature be our teacher as well. He wrote famously, to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that is not life to cut a broad swath and a shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. And if it proves mean, why then to get the whole and genuine meanness of it and publish its meanness to the world? Or if it were sublime, to know it by that experience and to be able to give true account of it to my next excursion. Thoreau sought what the current, the contemporary theologian Barbara Bound Taylor calls the really real. He wanted to touch the really real in living. From Thoreau's writings such as Walden, we know how sublime he found nature to be. And it's also important to note that in his return to nature, as he anticipated, he did get perspective on the meanness of the world, which he felt compelled to proclaim. He became a dedicated abolitionist, along with other transcendentalists, something that made the Unitarians and the conventional churches very uncomfortable. After John Brown was executed for leading the raid on the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry, Thoreau, delivered a eulogy for Brown, praising his resistance to injustice and calling him the truest transcendentalist and a true American. Thoreau's time and observation and contemplation nourished his ideas of injustice, civil disobedience, and his concerns about the mindlessness and the oppressiveness that he saw in society and in government. I believe Thoreau would approve of us contemplating his ideas about improving the nick of time on this Earth Day. And he would also resonate, I think, with Kathleen McTeague's words that I used in the opening today, her invitation to us to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives, to resist 
the headlong tumble into the next moment until we are aware, until we know gratitude. We are so in need of rest rather than constantly moving forward. We need to learn to resist and teach our children to resist being tumbled forward in our lives before we have taken the time, taken the time to make our own deliberations about our choices for what is important for our time, who we fundamentally are, and how we feel compelled to act in order to be true to our nature, true to our principles, and true to our spiritual understandings of the world. We wouldn't be here together today if we did not agree with Thoreau that there is more to life than appearances, our acquisitions, our constant consumption, and our achievements. We agree to these ideas, but it is easy to get caught up in the tumble. We know the satisfactions that our spiritual journeys have brought us to, learning to live in gratitude, with an open heart, with mindful clarity and peacefulness inside and a growing hunger for justice. We know these things. We value these. Some of you have been journeying for a very long time, and you carry that in you. Still, we can lose our grasp upon these truths that we've touched and become distracted by all that goes on around us. For that reason, we need to cultivate practices of resistance that bring us back into the nick of time. I know on Earth Day we usually feel compelled to speak about the other nick of time. If only we acted now, just in the nick of time, what could we save if only we acted now, just in the nick of time? But, friends, that way of thinking keeps us in this headlong tumble. We need the space to breathe and center ourselves to see the world as it is, both sublime and mean. Only then can we live deliberately. Urgency without wisdom is folly. I offer you three practices of resistance today. First, sit in stillness. Consider Thoreau's wisdom from his days at Walden Pond. The contemporary mindfulness teacher John Kabat-Zinn says Henry David Thoreau, his two years at Walden Pond were above all a personal experiment in mindfulness. He goes on, you don't have to go out of your way to find someplace special to practice mindfulness today. It is sufficient to make a little time in your life for stillness and what we call non-doing. And then tune into your breathing. Cultivate stillness in order to resist the mindlessness and emotional reactivity that characterize lives, characterize our lives, and keep us from witnessing our life and choosing wisely. Second, sharpen your senses in the natural world 
so you can appreciate nature's gifts and nature's limitations. Let your resistance to mindless consumption become personally informed by what you learned from your understanding, what you find resonates with you in the natural world. Environmental ethicist Aldous Leopold wrote that it is a spiritual crisis to believe that food comes from the grocery store and heat comes from the furnace. We have to get beyond the immediate awareness, the immediate appearance, to touch the deep reality of our embeddedness in nature. Walk, read, look and listen, touch, take care of a piece of the earth that you say you care about. Cultivate your sense of your life on this earth. And third, share the Sabbath. The tradition of Sabbath keeping as we know it came out of the Hebrew tradition in observance of God's commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sabbath keeping with each other resists the constant pressure to download more and more into our awareness. Sabbath keeping with each other brings us back into the embeddedness of our relationships, back into conversations that matter, back into listening to stories and telling our own stories, back into growing in spiritual fellowship that is creative and committed to the values that we share here. Sabbath keeping together resists the forces of individualism that breed our isolation and erode our sense of well-being. Sabbath keeping together is self-care, it is each other care, and it is also earth care. Three practices of spiritual resistance. Come into stillness, resist mindless doing. Come into your senses, resist denial of reality. Come to share the Sabbath, resist the forces that keep us tumbling forward and alone. Covenant together to improve upon the nick of time. May it be so.